Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode. I believe it's episode 16 of the Breaking the Game podcast that myself, Stephen Gillespie, and my co-host, Austin Carr, have started doing together since he's, you know, come along and kind of kind of carried the load of the show on his back, you know, kind of oh, put me to shame a little bit with, with his takes and how right he is all the time. I mean, he did predict the Los Angeles Lakers going to win it all this season. So, I'm, uh, Austin, the show is yours, brother. Take it away. Well, I appreciate it, Stephen. But, you know, the harder pick was definitely Miami. Uh, you got to get the credit for that. Anybody could have picked a, a LeBron. That's not exactly a, you know, mind-blowing pick. But we do have a great show for everybody today. We're talking NBA head coaches, assistant coaches, coaching rumors, all kinds of coach-related stuff. We're going to talk about Amari Stoudemire, who was uh, signed on to be an assistant coach under Steve Nash, his former mm-hmm. teammate with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we've got the hires of Stan Van Gundy in uh, New Orleans and Nate Bjorkren for the Pacers. I hope I said that right. It sounded um, good. It sounded yeah. like you knew what you were talking about. Exactly. So. You fake it till you make it, right? That's right. Until and someone then, writes you on social media and says you don't know what you're talking about. Right, which is bound to happen. I mean, but then we've also got um, – we're going to give our takes on who we think should fill the last two head coaching positions in Oklahoma City and Houston. And we're going to talk a little bit about the proposal that the NBA gave to the players union for the new schedule for next year. Mm -hmm. Um, You said we wanted to talk about Amari Stoudemire first. So let's do that. Yeah. Um, Well, Oh, go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, this is your show here. here I was just going to say it's, it surprised me. It's not, I'm not sure how I wasn't sure how I felt about it at first. Um, Amari Stoudemire never really struck me as a, as a coaching candidate. But you made a good point the other day when we were talking about it. He's not like he's going to be the lead assistant or run in the games. He's just an assistant. So it might work mm-hmm. out. It'll be fun to see. Um, what do you think about it? Yeah. You know, just let people know offline. We did. We we talk all the time. Austin and I do right. like the rest of our guys over at Off the Ball Network. Go and be sure to check out OffTheBallNetwork.com for all your sports needs there. Right. Good plug. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were talking offline and it. It seems almost nepotistic, if that's a word. I want to say it's a word. I, I believe it, so I'll, I'll say it. It seems a little bit nepotistic, right, because these guys were, were teammates. I mean, Sean Marks and Steve Nash had a relationship before Nash was brought on in Brooklyn, so it was only fitting that, you know, since he got hooked up, that he hooks up someone else, right? And mm-hmm. not saying that they're not going to be successful, but, you know, it, it did take me by surprise because it was just like, oh, okay, like, we're friends. You can, you know, take an NBA job, you know what I mean? So... He's a, a little bit unproven as far as the coaching ranks in the NBA. I understand he has a little bit of history internationally, but um, yeah, very little, right? Uh, about as much as Nash did, right? So mm-hmm. probably less. But uh, you know, bringing him on, I think you know when I when I looked at the hiring, we haven't really heard much about it, you know, in the press and in the media and whatnot. But you know, bringing him in, it makes a little bit of sense because you figure Nash, you know, teams basically represent their coach on the floor, right? Like they take on their coach's personality and it's yet to be determined whether or not I believe that the personalities that are on this roster will do that same thing. But let's just say that they do, right? Um, they would probably run a lot of pick and roll. And in the 2000s, right, they, there was mm-hmm. probably not a better pick and roll duo and when both of them were right and in their prime then Amari Stoudemire and Steve Nash, right? So Nash is probably going to help out with the, the you know, the main stars, you know, Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. I mean, they both know a little bit about what they're doing, but they got a lot of young guys and bringing on Amari Stoudemire to me signifies that they're not really looking 
to move, you know, they're, they're young guys like Claxton, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what Amari coming in to me signifies. It signifies that guys like Jared Allen, guys like, you know, Claxton, they're going to get taught a, lo- a thing or two about how a big should read the pick and roll, when to pop, when to, when to cut, when to attack the basket, how to set an effective screen. And as an assistant, right, probably not the lead. There's still circulation mm-hmm. out there that Dan Tony could come and be maybe like, like an associate head coach. I mean, I'd love it. Make it a family affair. Bring in Jared right. Dudley if he wants to coach. Bring in, you know, let's Sean Marion. Let's just make it 2005 all over again, right? Right. I mean, Sean Marion owns a, a team in, in New Zealand, I, I think, co-owns. So, like, you know, just, you know, tie, tie it all together, you know. Just as long make as it he's not the shooting thing. coach, we're good. <laughs> I mean, hey, his shot went in. It wasn't it pretty. Did. But... It did, but ooh, it was ugly. Yeah. Um, you All know... that matters is the end result. But yeah, I think that Stoudemire comes in as an assistant, at, basically as a mentor to the to the young big man that, that Brooklyn has. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, the, you know, over the night, last night, and throughout the day today, I kind of got to thinking about it. And it almost kind of makes me feel like they listened very, very carefully to what Kyrie Irving said about wanting to have a, players in the locker room and having a voice that he can respect and they're bringing in some players to kind of help guide this team you know hopefully that that'll work for them I don't know you and I talked about it I think they're going to be the the Brooklyn Nets supper club slash basketball team this year yeah wine club and book wine and canvas and a a book reading club all that cigars after the games you know very very sophisticated aristocratic but you know I think Amari's got a, a lot of basketball knowledge. He's been around the game forever. You know, mm-hmm. he's been in a professional since he came out of high school. And there were, there, you could argue at one time in his career, he was one of the two or three best power forwards in the NBA. Like Absolutely. The NBA at the time. And there was, you were right. There wasn't a better pick and roll unit in probably NBA history, really up to that point, Oof. maybe a Stockton Malone, but just the, the athleticism that they added to it and the way they do it, it was just a little bit different. They were, they kind of, I feel like, were the predecessor to the uh, Lob City Clippers a little bit because he was a little bit of a lob threat. They like to do a lot of pick and rolls. Um, so, you know, I think we'll, we can expect to see some of that in uh, Brooklyn with him. Um, you and I had talked about whether or not we thought he even seemed like a fit as a coach. And uh, I actually did a little research, and he did coach one seat, one tournament. I think is all it was for a the Canadian national team. Well, who was the the coach there? Who who's tied into the Canadian national team there? I would assume Steve Nash, Steve right? Nash, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I was wondering because you know he's from Canada, and I just that was probably too much of a coincidence. Thanks for catching that. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, but yeah, I just uh, it surprised me for sure. Um, he spent the last few years of his career playing in the Israeli league. He actually uh, is a uh, finals finals MVP in that league. Um, he was a, he was a Euro cup MVP. He won all kinds of awards over there. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but to be allowed to play in that league, you have to be a citizen of Israel. So you have to convert to Judaism. So he had to go through that whole process to be able to play there. So, you know, that was a big commitment to do all that. So it's obviously something that he really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And successful at it for sure. Um, I always honestly thought his career ended a little early in the NBA. I think he could have stuck around for a couple more years and helped the team. Yeah, um, he he kind of took on one of those little uh, you know, off the bench assist roles with teams like Miami and teams like Dallas for a little bit after 
you know, New York kind of fizzled out with for various reasons, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and he he kind of got hurt, you know, later in his career and right. getting hurt actually strengthened his game at one point. Right. Because he really developed a, a really serious mid range jump shot, which made that pick and roll even more unstoppable while he was in Phoenix with Nash. Right. And, you know, for being a, a big man at the time in the with the way the NBA was then, big men were still expected to be in mm-hmm. the post, and that's what he knew how to do, and that's what he liked. And that he completely changed his game to fit D'Antoni's system, and it worked incredibly well. I mean, they were a, a couple, you know, iffy plays here and there from being in the finals a couple different times, like that that hip check against the Spurs. Yeah, the Robert Horry hip check. Yeah, you know that doesn't happen. We might be talking about them as NBA champions. Yeah. I do have a question for you though. Yes, sir. So when, if and when inevitably Kyrie has one of his weird moments and goes <laughs> off and says something in the media that he probably shouldn't say or or sulks or rubs somebody the wrong way, how do you see a guy like Amari Stoudemire handling that? Um, I mean, he's kind of been around a little bit of a, a you know, a personality, if you will, back when, when Carmelo was in New York. Like, there probably wasn't he was probably the Kyrie Irving of his time as far as personalities and the way that he would address the media and talk about teammates and, you know, the way that he would talk about his standing in the NBA compared to the production that he gave the team and the overall outcome of his teams. He was kind of sort of a Kyrie Irving of his time. Right. So say that, yeah, I mean, maybe talk him down a little bit. I don't think that's going to be mainly his role though. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I think that he's probably going to be, um, in the development ranks a little bit, if you will, and help the big... I think that's ultimately what Steve Nash is going to do. Uh, I think that, you know, he might be the big guy to stand behind Nash with his arms crossed and right. stand behind him. You know, kind of a little bit of that enforcer vibe. Standing tall and talented. Pretty much. So we'll stat Mari Stoudemire. But yeah, I, I don't really... That's the thing that we mentioned about this team. It's so interesting, right? Like, the personalities on this team, no one's really like the you know take no nonsense type of mm-hmm. personality on this team. It's kind of like, no nah, man, we're cool. Like let's just go macrame and right. you know play right. hacky sack. Almost, it almost you know? seems like with all these comments they're putting out in the media and all these things they're saying about everybody and how they feel that they're this is the best teammate I've ever had and he's better than anybody you know I've ever played with. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like they're trying to build this like us against the world kind of mentality like and i kind of low-key love it i do too i I don't think there's hardly any uh better motivator in terms of sports than you know no one believes in us or everybody's against us you know i think athletes when they feel like everyone's against them or their backs against the wall is when they tend to play their best and Mm -hmm. that may be what they're trying to do and it may work in their favor i I could honestly see that working out for them if they get along i think they're going to be an incredibly good team it's just gonna take a while to see if they're gonna get along this like i said this may this might be the unique formula to unlock you know every sort of negative criticism that anyone has ever had about these you know polarizing personalities if you will on this team with Kyrie and kd this may be like this could be like phil jackson like to to turn to 11 you know what i mean like this could be like now, hey, everything's man, already out cool. on the table. They've said everything about us already. What else could they could they possibly say? Let's go win some games. Pretty much, man. Like I, it's either I don't see this being. I don't see them being like just a six seed, and everyone's just like, yeah, this is all right. You know what I mean? Like I either see it's either gonna go great 
or it's going to go terrible. Like there's no like, no, we're fine with being kind of like a, a fourth through sixth team in the East and us, you know, developing together and understanding and taking the time to build a, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's boomer bust is what I've been saying this whole time about this team. Well, the media scrutiny that's going to be all over Kyrie Irving. If they, if things start going bad, it's just going to, it's going to be insane. Like there's not going to be a chance for them to be anything lower than maybe two or three mm-hmm. and not have all kinds of, you know, negative media about them. So yeah, I think let you're them finish right fourth. There. Let them finish fourth in the East or underneath forces. If they're in the bottom half of the playoff standings, it's going to be mm-hmm. all season. Like, what do you guys need to do? Like, who's the next star that you got to pick up? You know, just imagine if a team like the Pacers, who I do think will be fairly good next year, finishes ahead of them. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it realistically could happen if things go bad for them. And that would be that would be nuts. Well, there's a lot of concerns, right? Like how healthy is Kevin Durant when he comes back? How healthy is Kyrie Irving even? You know, like he had yeah. an injury plagued years. And, you know, what does the coaching situation look like? Do they bring in another star? How do they mesh all these personalities together? It's It's really interesting, but it's funny that you brought up the Pacers probably mm-hmm. passing them. And I, I'm just going to steal that and segue right in That's to the open. You do, man. You read my mind softball. Boom. Out of here. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, Nate Bjorkren um, brought in as the Indiana Pacers next head coach and right on time. Just make sure that you go and follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash BTG NBA pod. Thank you very much there. Um, producer Prez. But yeah, what are your takes? You're the you're the local, you know, Indiana Pacer, you know, junkie, if you will. Even though you're a Laker fan, you pay attention to what the Pacers do. What does the hiring of Nate Bjorkren do for you? Uh, it's a, kind of exactly what I wanted them to do. Um, I think everybody kind of felt like the Pacers were going to do a normal Pacers move and go after a guy that's a known commodity, kind of play it safe. Um, you, a lot of people are saying that they hired this guy to be cheap and I just don't see that. I don't understand it. People around here say that the Pacers owners are cheap and they never want to spend to win. They have, they ha- they're not even in the bottom half of the NBA in terms of salary. You know, they spend plenty of money. Their, their facilities are nice. I don't understand the mindset behind paying a bunch of money to a coach that's net, you know, has never won anything and mm-hmm. you know what you're going to get when you have a guy that comes from the Nick nurse's system who obviously was just the coach of the year, won an NBA title in his first year, you know, took over for an established head coach and took them to the title. And it's kind of the same story here. Uh, From everything I've read about the guy, he's, you know, he's a a gym rat. He loves basketball. You know, he's won high school state championships. Right. Took an unpaid volunteer position with the G with the G league. It was the D league then. Yeah. The the developmental league. Mm -hmm. With uh, I think the Iowa team, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, Iowa Energy. Yeah, correct. was his first job. Mm-hmm. And he actually was an assistant under Nurse there. Mm-hmm. And then he took that job and turned it into the head coaching job of the uh, Warriors D-League team. Mm-hmm. And in his first, it was either his first or second year there, took them to the finals where he lost to Nick Nurse's team in the finals. <laughs> so he's kind of won at every level he's been at. He's been with Nick Nurse a long time. And... Pacers fans loved to hate on Nate McMillan's offense for being old school and too slow and archaic. Well, you have nothing to complain about now with this guy. You know, everything I've read about him, he says he wants to have a very disruptive, very aggressive style. I think you're going to see a lot of what you see from Toronto. And I think, honestly, the roster that they have, if they can get everybody to buy in, Mm -hmm. kind of 
maybe not quite to the level of talent, but almost really kind of resembles that Toronto roster. So I, I really like the hire. I think it was a great move. I'm just happy to see that it wasn't like Mike D'Antoni, even though I did write an article saying I, I thought he would say go now, there. I was about to hold you accountable. I never said I wanted him. I just said I thought he would. <laughs> I thought the roster could fit his system, and that's that probably is the what same they would thing. Do. That is the same thing. Well, I'm <laughs> and I'm retract my statement and I'll tell no, you now no, you're good. I'm happy that they didn't go with somebody that has, you know, been there forever and never won anything. So I think it was a great hire. Yeah, it was a very like Indiana Pacers move, you know what I mean? Like does it, I mean, what was the last big head coach that Indiana hired? Was it Larry Bird? I think, right? Probably. I was just going to say Larry Bird was, I'm pretty sure the last head coach they hired with no coaching experience, head coaching experience too. And he did pretty right. good. But I mean, as far as like big names, I mean, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing wrong with, you know, your Nate McMillan's like he has been in the NBA for quite some time now. And right. you, you know, basically what's going to happen when you hire Nate McMillan, he he's, he's basically a jobber in the NBA, if you will, for all you wrestling fans out there. He's yep. a guy that, you know, it's very sound technical, but he's just there to, you know, help elevate somebody else to the next level of, of stratosphere. And here we see him jobbing right now and helping out Nate Bjorkren. And I love the hire. I think that it's great. You know, it's he's one of those guys that I think that can help establish a, a culture, if you will. And then real quick, Austin, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, first, I want to put this plug here, you know, follow Austin and I on Twitter. You can find Austin at Austin Car 10 and me yes. at Steven BTG. Thank you there, producer. Appreciate uh, we, it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of Nick Nurse already having a coaching tree now? Granted, it's only one branch, but I mean, to go from first year winning NBA championship to second year, you know, winning coach of the year and having a very, you know, competent, challenging, really savvy Toronto Raptors team to now he's already branching out a little bit into the NBA. How crazy is that? Um, I, I honestly would say it was expected, just maybe not this soon. You know, the NBA is a, a copycat league, and mm-hmm. they saw what he did. They saw what Toronto did when they put put him in in the head coaching position. You know, Dwayne Casey won the Coach of the Year the year they fired him, and everybody Correct. thought it was crazy. Correct. And they brought Nick Nurse in, and I did hear good things about Nick Nurse, but I just I couldn't even grasp the idea that the coach who just won coach of the year was the reason they weren't winning. And I don't necessarily think that he was, but it's, it's hard to say that it didn't make a difference. Um, so, you know, well, real quick, can I speak to that? Yeah, go ahead. I think that the whole thing with Dwayne Casey is that he was married to, you know, the, the backcourt of, um, Kyle Lowry, which, you know, did stay. And then DeMar DeRozan though, I think that he was married to that player. Right. So Nick nurse, obviously coming in, looking for an opportunity to prove himself. Yeah. Move him. You know, right. Kawhi Leonard, sure, why not? You know, yeah. if you can swing for the fences and hit a home run, you got to do it. And you know, they they did it. Mm-hmm. I also think too that their their GM Masai Ujiri is one of the best at you know realizing when it's time to cut your losses or when it's time to move on and try something different. Absolutely. You know, at some point you may have a great coach, but you probably hit the ceiling. You know, I mean, they weren't even competitive against those LeBron James Cleveland teams. Like they just, he was just in his head, I think more than anything, they couldn't do mm-hmm. anything against those teams. And I kind of almost feel like Nate McMillan had the same issue. Like Nate McMillan has one of, if not the worst uh, winning percentages in playoffs. Playoffs, history. Yeah. Like for, 
coaching more than 30 games, I think it was. It's yeah, terrible. the first round is not his friend of the, yeah. in the playoffs. I think he won one game in four years as the Pacers coach in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that's just not good enough with a team that's, you know, finishing in the middle of the playoff picture just about every year. It's not yeah, like they every were single year. in as an eighth seed. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of, of former players from Nate McMillan's, you know, in interviews and on the radio talk about, well, Nate McMillan's a coach that gets the most out of the least. Well, that was okay for a while because the Pacers didn't really know what they had. They didn't know Oladipo was going to be who he was. Sabonis was a, a throw-in kind of on that in that trade for Paul George almost. Yeah. Time. And you know he did develop them, but they've got a lot of talent on this t- on this team now. And I think they they saw that they needed somebody a little bit more than just going to get a lot out of a less talented roster. They needed somebody that's going to kind of unlock their you know their game and take it to the next level. And I think. You know, it. Believe it or not, I think one of the biggest factors, especially for the Indiana market, is the fans wanted to see a more exciting team. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans don't go to Pacers games if even when they win because they're just they talk about how boring they are. Their attendance is not great, and um, you know they finish in the top half of the league every year and then the bottom half of the league in attendance. And I'll be the first person to tell you basketball is, is extremely popular in Indiana. They're oh, crazy of course. About it. But the Pacers don't get any love if they're not winning. And even when they are winning, and sometimes they struggle to get it then. So I think they wanted to get a guy that's going to kind of bring a more up-tempo, more modern offense. And I think their roster fits it much better. They're, they're believe it or not, a really good three-point shooting team, even though they like, never shot them last year. They're the second fewest threes. Yeah. Um so but when you know, it did take them, out. they they went in more times than not. Right. They, I I saw a thing. They took eleven hundred less three pointers than uh, the Houston Rockets did this year, and uh, shot like seven six or seven percent better from the field. So yeah, that's a crazy difference. Kind of goes hand in hand. But before we move on to to our next topic, I just want to encourage you guys watching or listening now or later, go to the uh, Breaking the Game Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash BTG NBA. And I also have a question for you there, Austin. And well, we'll roll into it a little bit. Um, my buddy Isaiah just wrote in about a, a topic that we're going to cover right after this segment. So Isaiah, if you're still with this man, hang in tight because I promise you we're going to get into that. Coming but up next, man. Don't miss it. Coming up next, right? So Stan Van Gundy brought in in the Big Easy um, in in New Orleans there with the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pelicans. Let's just refresh our memories, right? Like very disappointing in the bubble, right? Like you could argue that the play in tournament was created just for them to go in and try to have a big LeBron versus Zion matchup. So we can see that in the NBA at some point, as opposed to, we knew, you know, we never got to see that, you know, God rest the soul, Kobe Bryant versus, you know, LeBron James in the finals. Right. So NBA trying to capitalize on the timeline, they create this playing tournament. It all sounds good and well, but new Orleans is like, no, we're going to still treat Zion. Like he's made a glass. He played in bursts. He didn't do terrible. Um, I could kind of see the reason for conditioning, but mm-hmm. you know, the only way you get in game shape is play a game, right? So, right. Well, I was just going to say way, they, their their official reasoning for that limits that limit on his minutes was solely that he didn't have a chance to get back to get into shape because of the shutdown. They were saying mm-hmm. that he he wasn't in good enough shape. They didn't want to have him ramp up to hundred percent, you know, hundred miles an hour when he wasn't, you know, fully you know, ready to go, but I'm with you at some point, you just got to get in there and play like he, I mean, he's been this big freak of nature athlete since he was about 14 or 15 years old. It's not like he just one night woke up and grew six inches and, you know, had to 
get used to his body. Like he's been like this his whole life. He's, he's built for, you know, professional basketball. I think he's built for, for sports in general. He's, his body looks, he's he's a freak of nature, right? He's the second heaviest guy in the NBA right now. The only guy that weighs more than him, I think is uh, Boban. And I think he's probably league average height too, roughly, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He's only like six six. Like I like Charles Barkley, I feel like. Kind of like the round mount of rebound himself. Mm-hmm. You know, Sir Charles. Uh yeah, so Van Gundy in, in Big Easy. When you first heard this, Austin, what were your initial thoughts? Well, you know, we had talked a lot about Jeff Van Gundy possibly going to Houston. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this kind of popped up. And my my first thought was it would be kind of fun to see them coach against each other, have them both back in the league. And then I thought, well, you know, keeping with the theme of not going with retread coaches, why did they pick Stan Van Gundy? And, and then I thought about it and I looked into it more. I think Stan Van Gundy's last stop in Detroit has kind of put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths just because of that, that last season he had. And it's really unfair because if you look at his record beyond before he tried to be a GM and a coach, which never works, you know, he's 523 and 384 in his career. That's, that's a pretty good winning record. You know, he, he did take the Orlando magic to the finals, you know, that when he was in Orlando, they won 52, 59, 59 and 52 games four years in a row. That's a lot of wins. He won 59 mm-hmm. games one year with Miami and his first year, uh, second year in Detroit, he did have a winning record, but he, three of his four years there, he did have a losing record, but it's, it's extremely hard to uh, be the GM and the coach. Uh, a lot of coaches aren't good at deciding who they should have on the roster. It seems like, mm-hmm. so, you know, beyond that, I think he's a great NBA coach. I think he's somebody that is going to push this young roster. I don't think guys like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, for sure. They had Luke Walton when they were in L.A. Ugh. And Alvin Gentry's a good coach, but he's not exactly like a, a demanding, you know, we're going to do more of a coordinator, way. if you will. Exactly. Uh, Stan Van Gundy's going to come in there and not take any st- anything from anybody. <laughs> you know, it's his way or the highway kind of thing. Yeah. And he's a smart guy. He's a good coach. And I think, honestly, it's what those guys need. Um, I think he's going to help them develop a little bit of mental toughness, you know, teach them how to be pros, teach them how to win. And, you know, he may be like we just talked about, kind of a stepping stone coach to an eventual, you know, guy that they bring in to succeed him. It's kind of what happened to him in Miami. Mm -hmm. You know, he started 10 and 11 or 11 and 10 uh, the year he got fired. And then Pat Riley took over and, you know, they won the title that year. So I could see that kind of happening again Um, of, of all the coaching prospects that were out there you know candidates i i feel like kenny atkinson would have been my pick for that job Mm -hmm. just because he's had a proven track record of recently of developing a pretty young unknown roster ty lu was heavily linked to this gig too yeah well i didn't i didn't actually hear that but i I, you know how i feel about ty lu i don't think that the the same as me but who knows maybe he'll prove us wrong this year and the clippers win the title we'll see yeah but you know uh stan's a Stan's a proven NBA head coach. He's he's a like I said, he's a really smart guy, and I think he's going to get a lot out of those young players. Yeah, and he's got relationships built around the league. Now we are going to miss his takes on Twitter. Maybe he's fun. Maybe he still keeps them on there. Who knows? I mean, uh, that would be interesting, right? I mean, players do it all the time, but coaches are held to a different standard. They have to act professional. You know what I mean? Exactly. I do like the idea of him being an NBA head coach. uh, You know, building around you know, a pick and roll 
type of offense, you know, having, you know, what he did in, in Orlando was just phenomenal. I mean, people, LeBron James dominated the East for like ever, it feels like, but like, let's not, let's not forget that Dwight Howard did carry, you know, a, a team to the Eastern conference. They, they didn't do well when they, when they faced the Lakers, I'll, you know, I'll remind you, but he did carry a team to, to do a lot of good things in the East. And I like having Zion in the paint, surrounding him with shooters, kind of like what happened with Dwight Howard, because Van Gundy did a great job of helping Dwight help discern when to pass, who to pass to, how to look somebody open. And Zion is a more is a more natural basketball player than Dwight Howard. I mean, as, as great as Dwight is, I think that he, you know, obviously he's a Hall of Fame, you know, guy with the title. He's probably shooting for a first first ballot now, right? But I would say. Zion is great passing ability, great leaping ability. You know, he's very fluid in his game for his size. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of surrounding him with shooters with guys like, you know, Reddick, Hart, Ingram, Lonzo. Sometimes it goes in, you know, it didn't look good in the bubble, but I mean, it looked good for quite a bit of the last year before that though. Yep. If you, if you take out the bubble, I mean, Lonzo had a, had a great year, you know, maybe they keep drew holiday around who knows, but um, I just want to kind of help. Remind everybody though why because we're 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 speaking very glowingly of you know Van Gundy because you know his pick and roll offense you know kind of kind of like how Mike D'Antoni was right like you know like you said too he he was doing that four out one in five or six years before the rest of the league caught on to it you know yeah he's a lot like D'Antoni he's a lot like D'Antoni you know his his style of play you know he's like you could tell when someone's a true artist right when they're not appreciated in their time but when everybody else is doing what they're doing later like. That's what Dan Tony and Van Gundy were doing now. But let let's take a stroll down memory lane here. Austin, you mentioned and I mentioned too that they made it to the NBA finals, right? Mm-hmm. In in that 2008-2009 season. What uh, happened after that? They lost in the conference finals. Okay, what happened after that? They lost in the first round. What happened after that? They lost in the first round. And then Orlando said, "We're going to move on from you, you know, Van Gundy because we need to capitalize on having Dwight Howard." Well, mm-hmm. Dwight Howard left, and then he and then Van Gundy ends up in Detroit, where he is not only coaching, but you know he's and first like we need to just get rid of D- Detroit Van Gundy because not only was he wearing too many hats, but that was not a Van Gundy roster. You had Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe, and Josh Smith, and right. and uh, at, you know at different points Brandon Jennings and Brandon Knight. Like this is not a Van Gundy roster, although he did put it together, so technically it mm-hmm. was, but um. You have to right. have stars. You have to have eggs to make an omelet. And he did the best with what he could get because Detroit, as we know, during that time, wasn't really a free agent's destination. So mm-hmm. while he's in Detroit, he loses in the first rounds. And then in two consecutive years altogether, he misses the playoffs. So even if you take away Detroit, he goes from making the finals to losing in the conference finals to losing in the first round in consecutive years and then misses the playoffs altogether makes the playoffs loses in the first round and then misses the playoffs two more years after that so mm-hmm. it's not like he's like this just can't miss nba head coach right he did spend time in the booth and you know maybe you know observing the game the way that he did breaking down film for his job maybe he's like maybe i can try my hand at this and be more successful mm-hmm. i think his time in the booth was like a, a marketing tour for him it helped him kind of rebuild his, his you know his image and his 
you know, name around the league because I think he he kind of left felt left in a little bit in disgrace when he mm-hmm. left that job. And I wasn't sure he'd get another job, but he's he's so fun to watch and listen to when he's on TV and when he comes yes. on the radio and stuff. And, and his voice is like Paul Bear for you wrestling fans, right? right? Like it's it like is. Paul Bear commentating on the on the NBA. It's great. And it's it's funny that you said what you said about it not being a, a Van Gundy roster, even though he he's the one that put it together. And mm-hmm. you know it's weird. It seems like coaches who get that role don't realize what they, how well they, like who <laughs> they coach well. Like they don't, mm-hmm. it's like they forget their coaching style or their play style. It's like, well, let's just get whoever's out here. Who can we get? Yeah. What's a, who's who's a, a, big, big, who's a big name? Mm-hmm. And that might come from, you know, up top too. I don't, we don't really know that. Who knows? That's a good um, point. But, you know, Detroit, is was pretty uninspiring before he got there, you know, for, for a while. And and they don't, they don't really give me too much excitement now without him. But uh, that's also what you said about, you know, it's not like he's a surefire can't miss coach. It almost kind of seems like after you've read that off, once there's real expectations, that's when things kind of go south for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he made the finals that year with a team that no one really thought was going to make the finals. And mm-hmm. then they could never get back there again. When he got when he was in Miami, when they got Shaquille O'Neal, they had one good year, and then it was like, all right, we're going to be contending for a title this year. And he barely could go five hundred through the first quarter of the season, right? And so it almost seems like pressure kind of maybe gets to him. I don't know, and that may be where it comes out down to you know he's just going to kind of get these guys going and get them to where we need them to be for someone that we want down the line to come in and take over. Um, because, you know, I don't see him coaching this team for the next 10 or 15 years by any means. He's not a young guy. Yeah. And, and I, I like Stan Van Gundy. I'm glad he got another shot. Um, I think it'll work with this team. I think it, it's going to be fun to see how he can connect with a young roster like this because, right. you know, it's been a few years and he's, he's, you know, like I said, he's not a spring chicken and it's it the nba has changed a lot in a very short amount of time so and i think that to his credit he has changed a lot with it although we haven't got to witness it on the court he was very big uh in in the um i don't even know what to call it the organ the the organizing of the nba head coaches the the coaching against racism mm-hmm. even though he wasn't an active nba head coach you know right. he's a part of that family and he's a big part of the you know the community of you know people who you know, what do they call it? The community of the righteous is what Max Kellerman calls it on ESPN, mm-hmm. right? Like he's, he's an ally. He's a friend of the players. Um, he's, he's a big advocate and, you know, not saying that he did this specifically to get an NBA head coaching job, but it certainly helps in times like these where you, you know, when the NBA is looking at all these things going on in our country right now, and they have a new voice and a new face coming in, and he says, "Hey, you know, I, I'm with you guys. Like, I'm I'm arm in arm with you." And, I, and that again, it's probably not the motivation to to land an NBA head coaching job because he he certainly was doing well for himself. You know, sitting next to Mark Jackson, calling NBA games, right? So it's right. not he's hurting for money. He just, you know, he he's one of those NBA lifers. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's funny to me that he kind of does the same thing that Jeff does, where he kind of kills the guys and talks you know, a little bit of smack about <laughs> he does it. it a little bit nicer. But, I would but people like, Oh, he's a lot nicer, but people like it kind of people mm-hmm. don't really get a, like, you know, I don't see how 
he could come off as like offensive. He's almost just like this happy-go-lucky, funny guy when he says it. But one thing you will notice is he never says a bad thing about another coach ever. Mm -hmm. I've never heard him say a bad word about another NBA coach or of any sport, really. He, he like you could give him a coach that goes oh and eighty two and he'd give you this glowing review of him. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. how he is. He he's a he's a coach first for sure. And and you know what you said about him kind of organizing that whole thing. You know he is a leader. In, too. I don't know how right. big of a role, but he was definitely involved. Right. I mean, you know, like you said, he wasn't even a head coach, and he was pretty involved with it. And mm -hmm. and you know, following him on listening to him on the radio as much as he's on the shows I listen to, it mm -hmm. did seem like he, he took a pretty active role in it. And, you know, he speaks out on that kind of stuff a lot. He's always kind of been one of those friends of the players that says, Hey, these guys aren't, you know, a bunch of idiots that just bounce a basketball. These guys have some real, they're not real just world here for your entertainment. Too, right. right. These guys yeah. are people. They have real world experiences. You know, I heard like somebody made a good point. I don't remember who it was one time. Most athletes probably have a better world perspective than just about anybody else. Because mm -hmm. in how many other professions are you going to be playing with people from all over the world or, or working with people from all over the world and having to, to bond with somebody that has a completely opposite background than you? you and know? then go straight from one demographic of the of the nation to uh, the the. I'm not going to say the elite, but like, obviously you're, you're privileged in some manner, right? So you go right. from possibly being, you know, you know, in, in poverty to right. being, you know, an elite company as far as income. Right. So, you know, and like, exactly. That's what they meant. Like, you know, they have a completely different world you know, perspective on life because they've been kind of all through the whole range of things. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of guys, sports were their ticket to, to making it, you know, to, mm -hmm. to getting wealth for their families. And they, a lot of them had never had it before or never probably would have without it. And they do. And, you know, they get into sports and then, like you said, they move up into, you know, I get, you don't want to call it high class, but you know what I'm trying right. to say, you know, yeah. more, more wealthy demographic. And it's, you know, it, it's things are completely different. And so many of them more. give back too. And so many of them give back. It's, it's and great people stuff. don't talk about that enough. People complain so much that athletes are so overpaid. If you think athletes are overpaid, how much of your money do you give to charities? One and two, <laughs> right. do you understand economics? Because if you think they're overpaid, stop going to the game, stop buying tickets, stop watching, and they won't be overpaid for very long. Well, don't do that because then we won't have exactly. Anything I'm, I'm, I'm get off my soapbox. <laughs> there you go. Life lessons with Austin Carr here. There at Breaking you go. The game. Go. Be sure to follow Austin Carr at Austin Carr Ten on Twitter. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that that does enough for Stan Van Gundy. It seems like we're both under the impression, right, that he's going to come in and he's going to help these young guys. You know build a good solid foundation offensively see who he surrounds himself with right because these nba coaches now they're teaming up you know if right. they don't have a coaching job they're not just taking a year off and going on tour and and, and doing all these other things they're like no yeah. i want to yeah look they they roll into each other's coaching ranks right so mm -hmm. moving on we have a couple job openings that we just want to touch on before we get into the nba schedule and we received a comment earlier from my buddy isaiah who said jeff van gundy to houston please. Okay. Austin, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, we'll start with Houston since it's the most current question being asked right now, who it, it doesn't have to be the candidates right now. 
we have John Lucas and Jeff Van Gundy are the two front runners for, you know, potentially landing this job. You know, the the ownership and or excuse me, the governors and the the coaching, you know, people who make the decisions are wanting one guy. The players are advocating for another. Mm-hmm. Would you hire any of these two? One. And then two, if you had to pick between, you know, Van Gundy and Lucas, who would you select? Well, at this point, now that they've waited as long as they have, and a lot of the the guys that they were looking at, and a lot of the big names are are off the board, and the I I wouldn't really, if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't hire either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick one or the other, I guess Jeff Van Gundy because I've seen him do it before, mm-hmm. but I've heard a lot of good things about Don Lucas. I don't know. I, I like the idea of giving a new guy a try, but he's like he's the least new new coach you'd ever have he's been around the nba for 40 years or more you know he's an, he's not young and i i just i don't know what what his coaching style would be like i don't know much about him the players seem to really really like him mm-hmm. um so that you know that, that can't be too bad of a thing but jeff van gundy just it doesn't make sense to me because he doesn't seem like a, the, a type of coach that would want to come in and tailor his system around this roster and that's what the coach whoever takes this job is pretty much going to have to do at least for the first year and my other question is when if if they do when how soon does houston have to think about rebuilding because it's not going to be long that they're already the oldest roster in the in the nba which is crazy their, their average age is like 32 so it's not like they're old but you know, they're, they do have the oldest returning roster in the NBA. Old and, for basketball, not old for the earth. Right, not old for life. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, we I, I kind of think we've hit the ceiling with this team of what they can do, the way they've been playing. They're gone, they've gone as far as they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And none of these guys are getting any younger. They're all going to be a year older. They're, you know, that take it takes a toll on teams and their, their window may have already closed. I personally think it has. I think a lot of people within the organization think it has. I mean, if you look over the last two years, the owner sold the team, then the coach decides not to come back. Then the GM decides not to come back. It almost just seems like the writings on the wall that like we're capped out for the next, for the foreseeable future. We've got no good draft picks for the foreseeable future. There's no routes to make good in a hurry again. And if they do go with a rebuild, maybe John Lucas would be the, the way to go, or maybe one of these assistants that we've been hearing a lot about, like Udoka or, um, you know, uh, Wes Unsel Jr., one of those mm-hmm. guys, a young guy, give him a chance if you're not expecting to win. I don't think they're quite at the point where they're not expecting to win. They do still have Harden and Westbrook, but I just – if it were me, if I were the GM of the Houston Rockets, I'd be I'd be looking to to move one of them this year and try to start facilitating kind of a rebuild because I don't see a path where they could be a title contender in, in the West right now at all. Yeah, it it like you mentioned, it seems like they hit their they hit their peak basically, you know, trading away Chris Paul and then you know dumping a draft pick for their problems, you know, is you know, was was a bad indicator, you know, Dan Tony coming into the season not com, you know, not committing to the team, team not committing to him. Daryl Morey saying some stuff that, you know, criticize it whichever way you want good or bad um criticize the player's response to it whichever way you want good or bad um it seems to me that this team is just trying its best to stay afloat right now it's just it doesn't no one wants to admit that it's that it's bad and i think that daryl morey looked at this roster looked at their lack of assets look at the the way that the west is looking right now and said you know what 
I've backed myself into a corner to where the only thing that we can do now is sign players on the veteran minimum. How many guys want to commit that to play with Russell Westbrook right now in his career? Maybe three, four seasons prior to you would get a couple guys, but definitely not now. And then how many people want to watch James Harden dribble on the veteran right. minimum? You know what I mean? Yeah, so what I was just going to say, who wants to get, take a pay cut to stand in the corner and maybe get two or three shots a game. And it's crazy. And, and our colleague at Off the Ball Network, uh, Jelani Brown, just came in and said, I agree. Haven't been able to, you know, to see how Van Gundy fits there. Speaking of Off the Ball Network, go check us out on our site. Austin and I do have our way too early power rankings up right now. And we do have another project that we'll, you know, talk about here at the end of the show. I'm excited so, about that for sure. Very, very excited. But, um, you know, Houston's painted into a corner right now. You know, Daryl Morey is out. You know, Mike D'Antoni is out. There's no way that you can make a contender with this team right now. Harden is going to do what he does and play hero ball. And this is the conundrum, too, is like what coach, knowing that this is not the best way to play basketball, is going to come in and let Harden do exactly whatever he wants because it's his team, and that's how you have to coach now. You give The best player has their say. And if you don't have any other options, you don't have draft picks, you don't have, you know, tradable assets to help you know make this roster better you basically have to let Harden cook and live with whatever you get in a in an NBA head coach knows that that's not the best way to play ball but if they want one of these 30 jobs that are only out there for anybody who wants a gig they have to come in and play that way so Van Gundy who has been in the booth for such a long time he hasn't coached in what his last year was 06 07. I was 16 years old mm-hmm. the last time that he was coaching. I am now 30. That's right? crazy. And let's take a trip down memory lane. This is eerily similar to his brother that we just got mm-hmm. done talking about. So he made the NBA finals in New York in 89 or in the 88 89 season, lost in the conference finals the next year, then lost in the first round, resigned for his last season in New York after going 10 and 9. Lost in the first round, lost in the first round, missed the playoffs, and then lost in the first round in Houston. So Houston knows this guy better than anybody else, and they're willing to bring him back in on a roster that's not going to compete. Is he interested in a rebuild? This just doesn't make sense to me. As much discussion has been made of the lack of diversity in the coaching ranks in the NBA, mm-hmm. John Lucas makes sense there, but there's also, okay, now you're giving him a job, and it's you know, probably not the highest level of desirability for a job, but you do get to coach a couple stars, you know, a couple key names in the NBA. So we have, we know, we know everything that there is to know right now about Jeff Van Gundy in my eyes. He's not going to mm-hmm. come in here and light a fire underneath James Harden. He's not going to make Russell Westbrook all of a sudden a better shooter and right, decision maker. And how great are his relationships in the NBA right now where people are going to be like, you know what? I want to take a vet minimum contract to go and play for coach Jeff Van Gundy, who hasn't coached since some of these guys in the NBA, and we're getting old, Austin. Some of these guys in the NBA are our age now. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing him when they were 16, 17 years old, losing think in the of, first Think round. about guys like Zion and John Morant. They were four or five years old the last time he coached. Or correct. I don't even know who he is. Other <laughs> right. than a TV analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, three things that you you made me think of when you were just talking about that would be positives for John Lucas. Uh, one, um, 
I've heard a lot of rumors that maybe Houston wants to go cheap for the next year or two because their owner did, has lost yeah. quite a bit of money due to COVID. Yeah, if is, if uh, they go after a guy like John Lucas over a Jeff Van Gundy, you can guarantee they're not going to pay him as much just because he doesn't have the track record as being as being a former head coach. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to you know woo him out of the booth either, which I'm sure he makes pretty good money doing that. Right. Um, there's a familiarity there where you know the players already know him. They, they are, they're comfortable with him. He may be the coach to bring in and say, just let let Harden do his thing. You know, mm-hmm. that maybe that's why they want him so bad because they know they'll get their way. And um, three, it's it just seems like they need to move on from the idea that they're going to win a title with this roster. And I don't think you bring in a Jeff Van Gundy who hasn't coached in 14 years unless you're trying to convince him that you have a chance to win an NBA championship. So right. it, it, that's another reason. Unless he just really that. misses the stress of coaching an NBA team. I do want to say one thing. Uh, Chris, if you're listening I, apo- listening, I apologize ahead of time. Does Jeff Van Gundy get so much credit for being a good coach because he's the only coach in our lifetime that's made the Knicks even remotely respectable? Or even wanted to throw blows with the guys, right? Like you remember right. him clinging on to, to Patrick. I just mean the Knicks have been have been so down for so long, and I think mm-hmm. maybe the people look at oh, look how good Van Gundy did with that team. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I was kind of just joking, but yeah, I mean, I feel like he gets a lot of credit for a guy who hasn't coached in a long time. Who, when he was in Houston, he had pretty talented teams with T Mac and and Yao Ming and those guys, and. <laughs> It uh, it didn't go too well there either, you know. I don't, I don't right. remember. I don't think they ever got out of the first round, did they? No, they lost in the first round three of the four years and missed the playoffs once altogether. And right. to be fair, T Mac and Yao Ming were not the most, you know, um, healthy. Yeah, the most healthy, if you will, right? So, but still, I just. I don't know what, what the allure is. It seems like every few years when there's a big opening, you hear Jeff Van Gundy's name. And this one almost kind of seems like it's just because he lives in Houston and it's easy for him to go take the interview. So he took it. Yeah. And, and it's just crazy to me that he's in there. And another thing too, for John Lucas is like, give the guy a chance. Like you mentioned, he's one of the oldest, he would be one of the oldest new guys in the NBA. But I mean, for all the more reason to bring him on, just give yeah. him a shot. Like he's right. He's seen his fair share of NBA rosters. You know, he's helped compile game plans. He knows how to read the game. Like, the dude is an NBA head coach right now. He's just not given the title or given the opportunity, right? So give give the guy a shot. Like, that would be my thing. It's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, the Houston needs to blow it up and rebuild. You know, they're not going to win. They should know they're not going to win. But at the end of the day, this is a multi-million dollar business, and Mm -hmm. you still do have to put a a product out there that you have to – kind of weigh your losses on what's more important. Do you want to try to tear it down completely and be terrible for a couple of years and try to win again soon? Or do you want to kind of, you know, take a little bit longer route and have a competitive team that you know is not probably going to win. That still is going to get fans to come and still going to be, you know, a product that can make you some money. So, you know, there's a lot of factors to it. It's not like Houston is a, a meddling mid-market, struggling market. You know, they're in. No, they're but in I, I just don't got to pay like, I feel like if they if they admit that it, you know that they're going to start a rebuild, I don't know that they're you know that they want to do that just because I don't I don't think they want to alienate their fans. Like, look at what Philadelphia did to their fans. There's so many 76er fans that still hate the process. I mean, a lot of people were behind it, but a lot of people hated it. I think it worked. And, I think it did too. I, I just think they haven't they haven't capitalized on it. I mean, you get two talents like Embiid and Simmons, you can't really complain. 
The problem is, and we talked about this on the show, the problem is, is that the voice that was telling these guys, hey, we're losers, now all of a sudden saying, all right, guys, now we're winners, and they're like, well, that, I, and I think the NBA got scared and didn't want that people uh, didn't want teams to start to repeat like copy it too much because mm-hmm. they i mean they got they got <laughs> hinky out of there pretty quick you know too much well, he, he he got himself i mean he and his, he and his girl i don't know I, I i feel like the nba front offices had a lot to do with that i think they didn't want they didn't want other teams to say hey look if we are absolutely terrible and don't compete for five years we'll get all these picks and then we can win too and uh, i i just think they they were starting to build a really really good team, and then they they made all these front office moves, and Colangelo came in, and and it completely like torpedoed it. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think that and this is this is an idea for a show for another time, right? But I mean, right. it's it's just one of those things. But we got one more we got one more team that we want to touch on before we get into sure. the NBA schedule. Oklahoma City. We were discussing this right before the show, Austin. That we were. It's airtight. Like Sam Presti is is an amazing general manager because one, he's probably drafted the best team ever assembled in the draft. Like I'm sorry, all you Golden State, San Francisco Warrior fans out there, like they would have kept Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Serge Ibaka. Like it's a wrap. Like one of the best defensive, you know, stretch fours you've, the league's ever seen. Exactly. So, I mean, like, it, it, but if ifs and buts were candies and us, Austin, we'd all have a Merry right. Christmas, right? But I think that Sam Presti, one, is kind of going to be doing that now. We're going to start seeing stronger graf- draft classes, excuse me, uh, come in. I think he's going to try his hand at another, you know, three consecutive, you know, MVPs drafted there. But um, how he's going to have to do that is get rid of assets. And he's also going to have to bring in the right head coach. So who's the right head coach in Oklahoma city for you? Well, that's a tough question. Like you said, uh, you know, they're pretty tight lipped around there. I haven't really Mm -hmm. heard a whole lot about even who they've interviewed. I mean, you hear about interviews, but you don't hear who the leading candidate is and, or every website you go to that has their top five picks to be the Thunder's next coach. Four of them are different. It's all speculation. You know, it's all conjecture. Everything from Brett Brown and Nate McMillan to Kenny Becky Atkinson Hammond. to Becky Hammond. Which would be cool. Know, that would be cool. I'd like to see her get a chance. Absolutely. You know? I mean, if you ever see her on the sidelines, I don't think she'd ever have to worry about them not respecting her. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whoever they pick, you know, obviously they don't see themselves competing for at least this year and probably next. So mm-hmm. they've got, they're going to have to find somebody that's either willing to take the long route or someone that's unproven that wants a chance to prove themselves with a building team or a developmental um, mind, if you will. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yep. Good call. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I feel like I think Kenny Atkinson, it would be my first pick, mm-hmm. but someone that I haven't really heard a whole lot about until I looked it up today that I think would be good with them is Nate McMillan. I think mm-hmm. he could get a, I think he could get a lot out of a young developing roster. Like we just talked about earlier, He's a coach that everybody says gets the most out of the least. And if they make the moves that a lot of people are expecting them to make, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to have the least. Let's be like, honest. Like Chris, like uh, our, our guy, Chris LeBron, just came in and said, does CP3 get dealt? I think that he's dealt or bought out. I mean, NBA teams have to keep a minimum number of salary cap it's obtained. And, and, you know, doing the whole cut and stretch method could help them be able to do that for the foreseeable future while also adding young assets. So I don't know. He, he, he's, he's probably available. I would say my guess is 
it's going to be hard to move him. Obviously mm-hmm. they, they definitely don't want to do what uh, Houston did and give up a pick to uh, get rid of him. So yeah. maybe, you know, they think, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's 36. He is a smaller guy for the NBA. You know, maybe he's going to start to slow down a little bit. They give him 20, <laughs> 25 games to see, you know, if he's still, you know, leading the charge like last year and they're doing as good as they did last year, then maybe they make him available. But if if he's not really, you know, translating to a bunch of wins, it might be easier for him to just keep that contract for one more year and try to wait until the, the financial landscape's a little bit more certain and there's less, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but there might be only about 30 days of free agency before the start of next year. <laughs> well, so, they only needed like a week this past offseason, to be perfectly honest. They, right, but just... 70% of the league changed hands in a matter of 24 hours last year. Right? True. But I, I just feel like trying to pull off a whole offseason training camp, bring in rookies, do all that stuff. Like, I, I think player movement might be down some this year, mm-hmm. or at least maybe not the stars, but the 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 middle level guys or, you know, the, the minimum signings. I think you're going to see a lot of teams keep keep their players from last year more so than they would maybe would any other year. I think continuity is going to be a big plus for teams. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I could see him getting traded before the season starts. I could get, see him getting traded at the deadline. I could see them keeping him if they're, you know, if, if they're winning too much, because I don't think they want to win. <laughs> I think that's the reason Billy Donovan isn't there anymore. Correct. Uh, and I, I, I don't see why they would really want to compete too bad. They there may not even be fans allowed in the stands much again this next year. We don't know yet. So it may not be too much of a loss financially for them to just lose. Um, so it could, in my eyes, it could go either way. I do eventually see him getting moved, whether it's at the beginning of the season or not. I don't know. Um, but getting back to who I think would be a good coach, you know, anybody that has kind of a track record of developing, you know, young talent. Yeah. Um, Atkinson, I think, like I said, would be my first pick just because we just saw him do it with, you know, a roster of, like you said, the Brooklyn basketball team. You know, he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't in the bubble with them anymore, but the, mm-hmm. a couple years before that, you could have called him the Brooklyn basketball team then too. Yeah. And he, he got a lot, a lot to, out of those guys. To that point, though, he has gone on um, in our press. Chris LeBron came in and, and at perfect timing and said that, you know, Kenny Atkinson has gone on to be the assistant in oh, uh, Los Angeles, but uh, I, I haven't seen. I've, I saw that it was rumored, but I haven't seen that officially signed. But I mean, if Chris says it, I believe it. Right. But, uh, Thank you for the, another assist. Oh, you know who? You, I, you know who? I, would, I just said. You know who? <laughs> who I would like to see there? Uh, I think Sam Cassell would be a great. Hey. Uh, I think that he would be great because you typically see great NBA head coaches that weren't necessarily stars, but were still very good at their time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a former champion, you know, played in Houston. He played on a lot of teams, he played in Boston, he played in Minnesota, played in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken, too. There. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's well-traveled. He's, you know, paid, you know, he's he's done his time as an assistant in Los Angeles right. and in, um, you know, D.C. So, and, you know, the best player right now, if, you know, if they completely rip up the boards in OKC and just leave SGA, you know, that point guard to point guard mentorship, I think would be very excellent for SGA after just receiving a great year of, you know, mentorship from Chris Paul. And then you get a guy like Sam Cassell to come in and help you read the game and, you know, build your, you know, your, your confidence, things like that. I think that it would be such a hand in glove fit. I think that he would be perfectly fine with saying what you want to draft a couple more MVPs for me so I can help carry this team to an NBA championship. 
sign me up, Sam Presti, right? So Let's I think do it. Would, I think that he would buy in, and I think that he's got the the temperament. Anytime you see this, uh, you know, man on the sidelines, he's 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 not soft on the guys, but he's he doesn't leave these guys, you know, feeling like they're the worst people on earth. He's not, he's not Jim Boylan. Yeah, he's not very demonstrative. All right, you want the rundown of all the teams he's played for? Yeah, we're good at Houston, Phoenix, Dallas, New Jersey, Milwaukee, uh, the Clippers, and Boston. Okay, I, teams. I thought that he made a trip in Indiana. Yeah, when I, you said it, it kind of sounded familiar, but I was yeah. picturing him in a Pacers jersey, but I just wasn't sure. Yeah. I've yeah. very recently started following the Pacers since I moved to Indy. I was kind <laughs> of a, I kind of like made it a point not to like like them for a long time. Just, uh, I don't hear ask you. me. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Um, but I think you know, so would be great. Would be I don't great disagree with anything you said. I didn't. He's. I didn't even think about him when we were doing our research for this. I don't know why I didn't. And maybe that's the reason he hasn't had a kid coaching job yet. Maybe he just, you know, overlooked. I don't understand it though. He's put his. He's paid his dues. He's put in his time. You know, he's been an assistant for quite a while. He was a good point guard. Uh, you made me. That made me think of another guy. How do you think a guy like Adrian Griffin feels, who's been an assistant for quite a while, was on that Toronto staff that Nate mm-hmm. Yorkman just got hired from, and his name was at the top of a lot of lists when all these head coaching jobs first came open. And I, for one, thought he was somebody that was going to be getting one of them for sure. And I haven't heard anything about him in a while. I just, it's just funny to me how Nate Yorkman, we'd never heard of him, and he gets this job. And <laughs> right. Adrian Griffin, everybody says, is this next hot commodity, and nobody hired him. So I, I just. I, don't know about I, think, that. I think team success played a lot into it with Yorker and right. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier that the NBA is a copycat league. You know, it's easy for, I mean, that's why coaching trees exist, right? Like right. you say, okay, well he learned from this guy. Like how many guys have we seen benefit for, you know, holding a clipboard next to Greg Popovich in the, in the NBA, right? Like we, we, we see it all the time. And uh, I mean, look at Luke Walton got the, Got to coach the greatest, one of the greatest rosters, if not the greatest roster ever put on paper. Yeah, and yep, and he held the clipboard, and he is now on his second tour as an NBA head coach. Like there are still people that believe in him solely because, you know, believe it or not, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green were actually really good basketball players, and right. I'm pretty sure he could have coached that team to that record. Somehow they withstood that horrible coaching change they had to go through for the part of the season. That's more credit to their playing ability because, oh my goodness, look at what happened in L.A. and look at what's happening to the Kings right now. I was going to say, give Luke Walton credit. At least they'll still answer his phone calls in Golden State. Yeah, he 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 just needs to go be a, a just a, a very solid you know college basketball coach. I think is be know. an analyst like his dad. His dad's a pretty funny analyst. He can go team up with him and do a father son duo on TV. Right, but yeah, I think Adrian Griffin would be. It. I think Griffin would be a great a great call for a head coach. I just it does this could be a spot for him too. You know, yeah, I think it, this is a good job for any. I think they need to hire a first time head coach. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's trying to make it this is a team to give somebody an opportunity why not like yeah. like we said i don't think they're trying to be competitive anytime soon so yeah they probably have they're more first round picks than they do have players on the roster right now yep all right well last segment of the show austin i'm gonna hand the keys back over to you much like i did when we opened the show uh you very recently wrote a piece um on our site you know um off the ball network.com go check that out we have power rankings we have you know draft material up there and we're going to key you guys in on on another article that austin and i are co-writing together 
But um, Austin, let us know basically everything we need to know that's in circulation right now with the NBA schedule. So the NBA just sent a proposal to the players uh, union to start next season on December 22nd, three days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a lot sooner than what we had been hearing. Um, a lot of right. the reports have been Martin Luther King Martin Day. Martin Luther King Day, yep. And I think the the league offices looked at that Christmas Day and said, there's no way in the world if we can help it, we're, not, we're missing Christmas Day basketball because it's a huge deal. It's a big money maker. Right. And I think when you and I – we're on your old network as one of my first articles with you was about why they should start the NBA season on Christmas day. Right. It just makes a ton of sense. There are some pros and cons to it. The way they're having to do it now, obviously, you know, if it were, if it were to start on the 22nd, I think that's 57 days away, you know, mm-hmm. just quick math. Yeah. yeah. It's like 29 or 30 days after the start of free agency, the season's going to start. And that's like 40 some days after the draft. So these rookies that are coming in are going to have no time at all. There's not going to be a summer league. There's going to be, you know, really short training camps and it's, it's going to go really fast and they're they're not really going to get a whole lot of a chance to, to learn before the season starts. It's going to be kind of a trial by fire. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other, one of the other things that I, I could see some pushback for, on, from the players on is teams like the heat and the Lakers just got done playing a couple weeks ago. All right. They're going to have to go right back into playing while, you know, the eight teams that weren't invited to the bubble have, are going to have seven or eight month layoff with plenty of rest. I think it really helps a team like golden state who's coming back, you know, obviously they're probably the only team that wasn't in the bubble. That's really going to contend this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're all going to be completely healthy and rested. Whereas a lot of these uh, other players that were in the bubble, you know, playing hard all the way through to the end are going to have to really ramp up their recovery time and really, you know, work hard to stay in, you know, game shape and not have as much time off, but they are paid a lot of money and they are professional athletes. So I'm not really trying to cry for them. I don't feel too bad right. about them. I think they will be all right. Yeah. Uh, personally, I did not want to wait till Martin Luther King Day to have basketball again. I'm really happy that they're thinking about Christmas. Um, it just, if you think about it in terms of the whole year, why do they play 82 games? It's just, it's for money purposes. They wanted as many Correct. games as they can get to make enough as much money as they can. Um, but you know, I don't think the players like playing 82 games, and honestly. It's 72 versus 82. Are those 10 games really going to make a huge difference in terms of who's going to make the playoffs and who's going to be a contender or not? By I feel like by that point, we pretty much know how it's going to shake out. So yeah. losing those 10 games in terms of fans and missing games, like I don't see that being an issue. Another good thing that was really, really exciting that I'm happy about, the it ter- seems like the play-in game is going to be here to stay. Yes. It looks like they're going to do that again. I know you were a big fan of that. I was too. I'd uh, like to see Too much money it. to miss out on. Too much exactly. money to miss out on. Exactly. And, and it probably, honestly, the amount of viewership that it gains, that they gain from putting stakes on those games where mm-hmm. normally – I would have never watched a Memphis Grizzlies game at the end of a bat at the end of a season <laughs> if they were, you know, sneaking into the playoffs with the eighth seed. But I want COVID nineteen aside, right? Like, right? Yeah, in a regular season, right? But I just, you know, I watched every minute of those games because I just wanted to, it was something new and I wanted to see how it would go. Yeah, and you I want to witness history. I hope they expand it. I would like to see it to where they have, you know, nine or 10 teams and they actually have like a little tournament style thing at yeah. some point. 
And so, you know, they could recover the revenue really easy. They could eventually put in like a, you know, maybe like a mid-season tournament instead of an all-star mm-hmm. game or place of the all-star game. We've heard a lot of talks about that. So I don't think financially there were a whole lot of issues with taking away those 10 games. And it's kind of something, it's kind of a little bone to throw to the players for, you know, saying, hey, you know, I know a lot of the players probably don't like playing that many games and having to travel quite as much <laughs> as they do. So it, from that standpoint, I think it, it kind of, you know, pleases everybody a little bit there. And then in terms of when this season is actually played, right now the NBA season starts in the middle of the World Series. It starts right before NFL playoffs really get started. Mm-hmm. So the first two months of the season, viewership's down. Nobody's real excited about it, you know. Well, the cat, the casual fan. Obviously, you and I are, but I mean, right. you know, your general viewing public are going to be tuned into football on Sunday nights instead of Sunday night basketball. Mm-hmm. And with this new schedule proposal, they'll really only have to compete with the NFL for like two or three weeks. They won't. They'll completely miss the World Series, and they can own the entire summer. There's nothing else that'll really be competing with them i mean no no you know discredit the baseball it's a great sport but the viewership is just not what it was it's not it's not up there with the nfl and nba anymore right that's another part of the reason the 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 season has always been played when it was because they didn't want to compete with major league baseball Mm -hmm. now they probably shouldn't try to compete with the nfl so right it, it would be a financially would be a good move to start the season around christmas every year um it would still give us those Christmas day games that are always so exciting. Uh, their plan is to still have it done in time to, to be over before the summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be probably this year, a little bit condensed and shortened. We might see a lot more back to backs and stuff like that. But yeah. I think going forward, I hope they keep it around Christmas time for a start of the season. Um, it just, it, there's not really any reason. It makes the most sense. Yeah. I, and I agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, the short free agency, it doesn't really bother me. And we mentioned that earlier, you know, 70% of the league changed hands the first day of free agency. Right. So teams are, and, and there's already reports now that like teams are have already reached agreement with players, but um, our, our colleague again, Jelani Brown came in and said that he just got a notification that Danny green says that he doesn't see LeBron playing if they start December 22nd. And he asked us our thoughts. Um, I think that the, the the NBA is not dumb. They get along with their players probably the best out of any other major, you know, American sport. But much like any other sort of, you know, where you have a where you what what's the word here? I'm I'm losing it. An a, an association, right? And then you also have the um union, the players' union. Excuse me, sorry, brain fart there. Um, it's just part of it, you know. The one one side comes and asks for the world. Then the other side says, uh, "We're not going to give you the whole world, but we'll give you a couple continents." Right? Like mm-hmm. this is mainly what I think that they're talking about. And if they put LeBron James on anything, it will garner attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. And, and Jelani comes in and echoed your same sentiments uh, here, Austin. That the first game on Christmas Day every year would be amazing. It 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 would. I I'm a big fan of that idea. I think opening a little bit before Christmas, like have some of your lower market teams come in a couple of days before, get everybody's beak wet for you know L.A. and Golden right. State and you know you know Milwaukee or or Brooklyn or Boston playing on Christmas Day would be incredible. Everybody would love that. Um, I think though that we're going to see a little bit of back and forth like we always do when. 
the league says that we want to do this. The players are going to say we want to do this. And the league is probably going to let the, they're probably just going to open their portfolios and say, Hey, look guys, this is what you're missing out on right now. If you want to wait and not everybody makes the same amount of money as LeBron James and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, right? Like Mm -hmm. these lower market guys, or I think they're going to speak to their big brothers. If you want to say, Hey guys, like it would be really cool if I got to make a little bit more money, you know what I mean? Especially after the season that they just endured, right? Mm -hmm. Roughly 70% of the revenue that the NBA generates comes from butts and seats. Mm -hmm. So they lost money. Even with coming back and playing, they lost money. Players aren't going to be happy about that, especially with the amount of money that max contracts give you now and the salary cap spikes that we've seen. No one wants to lose money. So I think that the players are going to kind of come, not that they're unsensible now, but they're going to kind of come to their senses a little bit and say, you know what? Making more money would kind of be nice. So let's kind of go ahead and do that. You know, you made a really good point there about LeBron and and them putting his name on out there for a reason. The, when I first read that, my first thought was, "That's crazy." It's, there's basketball playing. LeBron's going to be playing. <laughs> He's going to be there. He also probably wouldn't even let one of his teammates make a statement like that unless he just didn't know about it, or he would already have some have come out and said something about it unless mm-hmm. he they knew what they were doing. You know, unless right. they're using it as like a tactic. And like I said, I thought there would be some pushback. You know, LeBron is is let's call him an elder statesman in the league you know he does he is in great shape he does take great care of his body but i don't care who you are with that much wear and tear on your body you need time to recover and you need time to get back in into the swing of things right and so i think he they might push for that a little bit but you made another good point too um every time we hear about these negotiations and and collective bargaining the loudest voices you hear are the big name stars because mm-hmm. those, are, those are who you know and that's who people want to interview. But they don't really speak for the majority of the players in the league. You know, right. like with this last NFL one, Aaron Rodgers and Russell, Russell Wilson and all these guys are saying, you know, we shouldn't sign this deal. But it was a, <laughs> honestly a really good deal for about 75% of the players in the league, and that's right. why it passed. It's got to be for everybody. And, you know, those guys have made their money and they've they've – kind of had their turn at, you know, running how things go. And I think they need to, you know, look out for their, you know, the up and coming players and the young guys for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, it helps them competitively too, down the long run. Cause if you can increase the amount of exceptions that you give, if you can increase the amount of veteran minimums that you get LeBron, you're going to be surrounded by more and more talent. Steph, right. you're going to be surrounded by more and more talent. Like it's in your best interest to help generate as much revenue for the league as you can, because it helps you become, a more competitive team overall. Right. And one last thing I do want to say, one more point I want to make. Everybody's been talking, and I've said it several times, about the uncertainty of the financial landscape of the NBA. And, and you mm-hmm. just said it. They These teams lost money. You know, not that long ago, right before the NBA lockout, I remember reading a thing where 23 of the 30 teams that year lost money. One of them was the San Antonio Spurs, who had just won the NBA title. They mm-hmm. actually lost money as a franchise. These these teams have, have gone through ups and downs financially lots of times before that we've never even really talked about. This will just be like, this will be in a few years, this will be like a blip on the radar. The NBA will be fine. These teams aren't going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars and never, you know, never recover. As I, I just don't think that's realistic. So right. I think that's a little overblown. I think, I think so. But I mean, it is Adam Silver, like, Anything that he says to me, or not to me, right? He doesn't talk to me, but he says about he the call league. You, he calls me like once a week. Well, get him on the show. 
All right. All right, I will. So, I mean, if you're going to brag about your connections, let's get them on the show. <laughs> but anything that he does and, and puts out to the to the general public, uh, I think it, it's going to be really hard pressed for me to disagree with anything that, that he says. I mean, right. people now are all of a sudden now that we've got football and we got baseball and we got college sports back. Like now everyone's like, oh, did you guys notice that the ratings of the NBA finals are the lowest that they had been in X amount of years? I'm like, OK, like. Let's not pretend that the NBA was in the middle of their season, was on pause, and were the first people to make a move for other leagues to follow. And they have done it more successfully than any other league in all of professional. And I'm going to throw college sports and professional sports in, in one lump sum. And you, you, we, we all know how I feel about this. I'm not going to go into a big soapbox about it. They're professional sports. Um, they were the most successful you know, all those players, all that time, zero positive COVID tests, like they they did it perfectly. And there anything that Adam Silver wants to come out and say about how the NBA is going to move forward next season and what the players and the, the governors and you know the representatives all come together and agree upon, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna automatically assume that it's gonna be awesome and it's gonna be the best decision that could be made because they have yet to prove that thought process wrong. Right? Who are we? To, who are we to to say that something he comes up with isn't going to work? Because <laughs> right. one, he's there every day running the show, and and everything he's done so far has been great. And I, I want to kind of speak to your point about they were the first ones to do it, and people talking about viewership being down just a little bit, real quick. Um, personally, I really, really love that the NBA has supported their players through all of the social injustice things and all of the political stuff that's gone on where, you know, a lot of people are saying that may be the reason viewership's down. I I don't know how many people that are offended by that kind of stuff or were really big fans of the NBA to begin with. Correct. But even beyond that, no matter what, if it, if viewership tanked because of that, they still look better than the NFL did because the NFL was afraid to do anything. They were mm-hmm. afraid to go one. They first they went way one way against Kaepernick, and now they're all for everything that he did. And it look it's a complete joke. Yeah. You know, the NBA has at least supported their players and they've at least let them, you know, have a voice and they deserve it. You know, they realize the players are the reason that we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like the NFL has kind of gotten so big it's like a machine like the players just get churned through and it, and it they almost next act like they up. don't matter yep next man up mentality so i just I, I commend everything the nba has done on this whole process i didn't like when they boycotted those games i was worried the playoffs would get cut short but you know it was more important than basketball at that time so yeah and props to all of them yeah, and I wrote a piece too about you know the players and coaches and their backgrounds because the whole shut up and dribble thing was getting recirculated through. And I'm like, do you understand that like Mal- Malcolm Brogdon has a has a degree that basically oh, the only people that have the degree that he has go on to be in politics? Like <laughs> Doc Rivers right. has a degree in political science. Like these guys are probably some of the most qualified people of the of people who actually aren't holding that type of job to be able to speak to as to what people should be doing. Like, but again, nobody ever complains when someone like you or me, who wherever you work and wherever I work talks about politics, why can't athletes talk about it? What's the difference? It's, it's just their job. Yeah. Well, there we can talk at nauseum about this, but they're the escape for everybody else. Like, I just want to go there. I want to watch people run into each other and be brain dead. Like that's what 
people want apparently i don't know i don't get it i kind of like the way things are now but austin i think that you know we did a great job we've cut our show to about an hour and 18 minutes and doing pretty good on that time uh before we close i want to give you an opportunity one just to kind of you know say it say it to the masses um that you know where you're currently affiliated now and you know how you feel about it and for our show and some of the work that you have going on go ahead and take over man it feels wonderful to say that i am officially part of the off the ball network i have joined you guys 100 now i was you know writing for game changer sports network and i loved everybody over there and i always will they gave me opportunities and you know they're a great group of people i have no ill will towards them at all just you know i feel like we're gonna be you know you and i obviously already have great chemistry together you know, I, I think it's only going to go up from here. I'm excited to work with everybody. I know we've got a ton of really, really talented people over here. Yes, and sir. now I get to kind of spread my wings a little bit more. Whereas the way it was before, I wasn't really allowed to do any other live shows with them because, you know, just because of kind of contract issues or whatever you want to call it. And now I'm kind of, you know, in full, you know, I jumped in head first and I'm, I'm ready to go. So I'm excited about that and can't wait to get on some more shows. Um, you already talked about my one article that I wrote about the uh, the season uh, proposal. And um, I don't know if you want me to break it to everybody what we're working on or I can let you do it. Yeah, man, you're on a roll. All right, I'll go for it. We're Steven and I are currently working on a co-written article about our way too early season awards where we each we give you each of our picks for every award, individual awards, team awards, coach of the year, everything. Um we didn't agree on everything, believe it or not. We tend to kind of agree a lot on this show, but you know, we did agree on some. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely going to be a fun read when it comes out. It'll be another thing you guys can look back and laugh at us at the end of the year when one of us is wrong or we're both wrong or we're both right. Who knows? Yeah. So La- laugh anyway. We, we yeah, love laugh. exactly read it, laugh, don't laugh, enjoy it, whatever. Just read it. <laughs> yeah, but I know for real though. Anybody that's listening, anybody that ever listens, anybody that reads our stuff, we, you have no idea how much it means to us. You take even five minutes out of your time, your busy day, to pay attention to something I did. That makes me feel really good. So thank you for being here for us. And I will echo those same sentiments, Austin. You, I couldn't have said it better ourselves. You know, I know that you know in in talking with you know the decision makers at Off the Ball Network about bringing you on, they were more than happy to have you. They were, you know, obviously it's it's great for the show to be fully affiliated to one place. And you know, much respect to the Game Change Sports Network. Nothing negative at all to say about them. They do great things over there. We just we're glad to have you part of the Off the Ball Network family, man. And uh, you know. It's, it's great. So um, just want to encourage people to go check out the site. Obviously, the NFL is uh, doing its thing right now. we got a lot of great content up there. College football, too. Our our, our guy, Jeff Hunt, does power rankings that are going to be releasing. That's awesome. His power Jeff, rankings are great. Jeff's the man. And then I also want to plug my guy, you know, Couch Coach Live. He's got a show that's going to be coming on in the next, you know, 30-some-odd minutes on Overreaction Monday. Um, go go and check that show out. It's a lot of fun. Um it's not super analytical for you guys who just want to watch something fun, go and check them out. But for you guys who are analytical like myself and like Austin, they do get into analytics a little bit. So there's something there for everybody. Go check out our guy, Couch Coach Live. I believe Jeff is going to make a special appearance tonight. Awesome. So those those guys are great. Go check yeah, out Coach, the website. Coach, Coach is a really fun guy. He knows his stuff, but he's a really fun guy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He's a friend of the show. Show. He's been a special guest and a, a co-host of sorts on on here as well. He's, Love filled in, he's filled in for me at least once, and he did a wonderful job, so I give him all the love in the world for that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then just want to give a couple quick plugs real quick. So go check, go check out the website off the ball network.com. Get all of your sports needs there. Um, our guy, Chris LeBron just had a show on dash radio on the nothing but net channel where he, and a guy that we're going to have on our show Thursday, Lee from which Carolina, um, who evaluates NBA draft prospects is going to be on the show Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Go check out Chris LeBron show on the dash radio app on the nothing but net channel is a great episode. Um, we just unveiled this last Saturday, a, a new program called CU Sunday, where we do all of our picks for the upcoming NFL uh, week. And we evaluate and discuss, you know, three, give you a game to watch. And then overall projections for the off the ball network. Um, if I'm forgetting anything, Austin, do you, uh, you're not forgetting any plugs, but I just want to hear real quick, Monday night football, final score, Rams bears. What, what do you think? Well, the popular one is 2017 pick it whichever way you want. I'm a Rams fan. I'm actually wearing a Rams cap oh, right now. But I do think Chicago wins ugly hey, tonight. I think they do it. I think they win ugly tonight. Um, I'm gonna say 18-12. I think it's gonna be an ugly, ugly game. Uh, 18. I could see that. I could see it being 18-12 either way. It's gonna be a weird score. It's gonna be low scoring. The the Bears defense is is pretty pretty stout, and their offense leaves a lot to be desired. But it could also be one of those things where Sean McVay shows why he's such a good coach and they just run away with it. I could see it kind of going that way though, too. But you know, I do, obviously I picked the bears to win. I'm a bears fan and I'll always oh, be a homer first. Don't worry. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, promise. Fun, man. I appreciate you having me, you know, doing this with me every week. Like we do. Absolutely guys. Just be sure to check in on Thursday at a time that at seven o'clock on Thursday, seven o'clock Eastern time, we're going to have a, a, dra a draft discussion where we're going to talk about who our top prospects are, who a guy that you shouldn't buy the hype on, and a couple of guys that um, look to be later picks that are probably going to exceed expectations. So please go check that out. Follow us, uh, follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at BTG NBA pod. And just quick shout out. My dad just jumped in on the show and said Bears 23, Rams 21. Not too terribly off, uh, Dad, from from what I just said, 18-12. But we both agree that the Bears win in this game, and it looks like ugly. And then Vice President Jeff Hunt just comes in and says, go sports, right? Like, we, we, we try to be fair here on the show and not just be completely NBA centric. I say one, one good thing about the, about the COVID shutdown is I'll never take sports for granted again, that's for sure. Amen to that, brother. Austin, say something nice to the people. You know, like I said, always thanks for listening. Thanks for taking time out of your day to pay attention to us to talk about rant about basketball all day. <laughs> you know, you guys don't see it because we we try to cut ourselves off. But Stephen and I could probably do this for twelve straight hours if we really if we really wanted to. So if people knew how much we talked offline with just us and then the off the network family or off the ball network family that we have, they would probably look at us with eyebrows raised right oh i'm sure but you know <laughs> if you if you love it like we do it's 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 a lot of fun so yeah keep on never. listening and we'll try to keep on bringing you guys great content yep as always you know you the viewers and you the listeners you guys have been great we have been your co-host steven and austin and we will catch up with you guys next time much love everybody